Hello, and welcome back to a comeback episode of K-Drama Kraken. As always, I am your host, Chris, and I would like to deeply thank anyone who is new to the pod. Howdy, please stick around, and give my love to anyone who has returned to the podcast after my unexpected semi-hiatus. I am so, so sorry that I haven't updated in so long, especially on the heels of the late last update to the podcast, but I needed some time. I'll get into the details of that in just a, a few minutes. This episode is going to be a little different from my previous simply because there has been a lot happening in K-pop and K-drama. I've edited and scrapped this episode a couple times for the past couple of months because comebacks have been pushed back and filming dates have been delayed or put on hold. The reasons for this are clear and obvious, but ultimately I found that sticking to my reporting format to be untenable and quite frankly boring. I decided to focus on this mega episode on what I've listened to and watched these past few months and what I thought about those. So this will be a mega review episode. I'm finally very excited to share with you and hear from you about this summer's crazy entertainment schedule. Now, this next part is going to be very personal, so I'll put a timestamp in the show notes for those of you who don't really want to hear it, and I don't blame you in the slightest because this is plenty awkward for me to talk about, but I felt like you guys deserve to know why there was a delay between episodes. Like all of us, I am absolutely sure we've been struggling in our own ways to get through this year on our own terms, and I think like all of us as well, at first I adjusted and tried to keep trudging along even though I'd been knocked way off kilter and had to make some really hard decisions for me and my family. I thought I was doing well, I was positive and still arm for the most part. But as tragedy after tragedy piled up, uh, it got really hard to find joy in pretty much anything. And even though I'm speaking in the past tense, this is still happening, um, as I'm sure it is to you as well. I feel like maybe some of you can identify with this, uh, this feeling of driving along and suddenly running out of gas or even feeling like you hit a wall uh, day after day of that. K-pop and K-dramas were my go-to years ago when I felt this way, but the weight of this year made it so hard for me to even enjoy that. I didn't want to watch dramas, and and when I did and went to record my voice, y'all, I sounded not good, not happy, and I knew I didn't want to put that out into the world. It's taken time for me to feel like I'm allowed to be excited about sharing my love for dramas again, and it took baby steps. So to start there, I worked on getting my website, K-Drama Kraken Live, so please go check it out. I have a blog at kdramakraken.com where I talked about Tsundares, uh, Park Sejun, and Bromance, not in that order. And next came the Facebook group, which went live last month. And you can find it as K-Drama Kraken, all one word, podcast. And it's really tiny right now, so please request and join up. As long as you aren't a child, a bot, or a racist, I'll probably approve you. Then came updating my Twitter. You guessed it, also K-Drama Kraken, on a semi-regular basis. I completed a monthly K-Drama challenge over there, and I'm currently stalling on completing the last one because I can't find another one to start. So someone please send me some suggestions, or maybe I should make my own challenge. So I guess I'm saying all this to prove that I wasn't exactly gone. I have been around, and when I emotionally could, I did manage to record some excellent content that I meticulously then edited, so I would appreciate it if you would give it a listen. All of that leads right into what's new and upcoming for the podcast. Well, I really want to commit to releasing an episode a week. Now, that's a big ask of myself because I'm still getting into the swing of a new job, but honestly, I do love podcasting and editing and want to grow this into a fun, safe space for people like me and you. 
this spooky season is going to be the ultimate test and I was kind of waiting for October to launch again. If you've heard me rave about my love of the spooky spook on previous episodes, you might think that I would want to do something for my favorite time of year, and you would be right. This episode will be the start of my K-drama spooky season shenanigans. At the end of this mega review episode, I've included my list of top five spooky and supernatural K-dramas for those of us who like our dramas with a side of hauntingly good fun, followed by episode reviews of season one and two of Kingdom, a zombie historical drama that airs on Netflix and which may be my favorite drama of the year. The first season is all me, unfortunately, I know, but season two, I've enlisted one of my best friends, Crystal, who you'll probably remember from some of our previous episodes. I love our conversations and know you will too. Finally, to get into the swing of working on the Kraken blog and updating the pod regularly, I'll be watching a spooky K-drama or movie at least once a week this month and releasing an episode about it. I'm hoping some friends will be willing to join me, but even if it's little old me, just get ready for some hot takes because I've watched a lot of spook and have a lots of opinions. I really hope you'll enjoy and join me for this season's shenanigans. I'll announce some live watches in the Facebook group and live tweeting as I watch, so let's interact. As always, I am Kraken on Twitter and Instagram, and you can email me at kdramakraken at gmail.com. Now, Finally, let's batten down the hatches because we're doing a deep dive into my favorites of K-pop and K-drama for this summer. Hope you brought your sunscreen because this summer was hot. That's hot. K-pop, July gave me a bunch of singles that I wasn't expecting to like as much as I did. Zico and Rain's Summer Hate was some summertime corniness that I bopped to despite myself. His album, Random Box, also has a few hits I'd like to recommend, like Love and Hate, No You Can't, and Roommate. Get the last of your summer vibes before the cold sets in. Ju Young and He's dropped Love Distance, a romantic duet which brilliantly showcased their lovely voices. I've also loved every single the dance queen Chung Ha has released this summer, really this year, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back to April when she dropped Stay Tonight, the top of July when she dropped Play, and this new English single Bad Boy with Christopher. She's been busy, and I love it. Then there was Crush's single release named Ohio, which I took as a personal shout out since that's the name of the state I live in and can't no one tell me any different. So don't even bother. I'm joking, by the way. But look, I know it has nothing to do with me, but the jazzy flow and lyrics all about singing and dancing all alone just to no longer feel anxious or like you're going crazy in this world touched me in a way that I really needed this long quarantine summer. Red Velvet's Irene and Sulgi released their first subunit mini album called Monster in July, and I seriously played out most of that album. Accompanied by some stunning music videos and choreography, they made their point. Irene and Sulgi didn't come to play. My Girl Hoodie finally released a bass-tastic single called Submarine. It's another funky summertime bop that's perfect for any time. I'm so happy whenever she drops anything new. G-Friend made a comeback in July, and what really grabbed me off of their album Song of the Sirens was the 90s nostalgia track Apple. Its witchy and fairy tale vibe is great for right now, actually. Everyone's favorite little brother, Kang Daniel, dropped Magenta in August and impressed the heck out of me with some highly produced bangers. This is clearly the music he's been working hard on releasing under his own label, Connect Entertainment, and in my opinion, the struggle paid off spectacularly. I'm so eager to see what he comes up with next. 
G-Idol, who I've loved since I heard Pop Stars, and I still blast that song in my car at every opportunity, also released two summer-ready singles, Dumb Diddy, Dumb Diddy, and The Baddest, a reunion track with KDA that is now my new car blast favorite. The rookie group Treasure grabbed my attention when they first released their debut albums, The First Step. Specifically, the single Boy stood out to me as a refreshing introduction to a slick new boy group from YG. I didn't watch their survival show Treasure Box, but clearly the winners we have here are going to go far. Gravity also dropped a second album right on the heels of the first, also called Hideout, but with the subtitle of The New Day We Step Into. Sounds really hopeful, right? And since I really liked Hideout Remember Who We Are, I gave this one a listen to as well. Not only was I impressed by the sheer number of songs on the album, but the consistent sound and energy. These guys are making some really well-produced and performed songs. Check out the track I previewed just now called Believer, and while you're at it, listen to Oh Ah as well. I feel like you won't be able to stop at just those two once you hear them. Y'all knew this was coming. BTS's single Dynamite and Blackpink's collab with Selena Gomez Ice Cream took over the end of my August. And yes, I did record a super fun army conversation about Dynamite that took me forever to edit and I will be dropping very, very shortly. Like hopefully as soon as I drop this episode. As for September, I'm not going to lie. Between Wanho's highly anticipated solo album Love Synonym Part 1, Jackson's new single Pretty Please, Super M's Tiger Inside, and Taemin's new album, I wasn't listening to much of anything else until CL announced her comeback teaser on the 13th. Taemin, the tour de force who never lets me down, released act one of his third full album, Never Gonna Dance Again. And y'all, this album took over about a week of my life. I liked the first single, Two Kids, when it dropped in August, but to hear songs like Criminal and Black Rose when the entire album dropped made me fall hard. If you like anything Taemin has done with Shiny, Super M, or as a solo artist and haven't listened to this album yet, then I don't know what you're doing. I'm really hoping he's recognized come award time because he deserves to be acknowledged for all of this hard work. Also, please watch the music videos and choreo guides. They are absolutely amazing. Wanho dropped Love Synonym, and even though I don't like the name of the fandom and won't say it right now because it will make me giggle because I have the emotional maturity of an eight-year-old, I am one of those, a fan of Wanho. The album is a diverse showing of Wanho's sound and vocal agility, and yes, while he's of course very easy on the eyes, you can hear all the work that went into this album and appreciate it more than just his body in the choreo. I also watched his online concert and was delighted to see he was the same guy fans knew from Monster X, with just a little more experience. He's going to do some big things for sure. One of the last new singles I've heard and liked is another successful Pink Sweats collab, this time with Joshua and DK from Seventeen. This single is aptly named Seventeen, and while I like Pink's original version a little better, the guys add to the sweetness of the song. It's a great walk-in-the-park-holding-hands kind of vibe. Now, to what I'm looking forward to this comeback season. Queen CL is back, or will be soon, because that's what she and her Reverse page said. For real, though, the teaser of her single was Straight Fire, and I can't even predict what I'm going to hear and who she might feature on her tracks. I'm also looking forward to Blackpink's first full album. Yeah, I can't believe it's her first full album ever, y'all. That's a damn shame, YG. The aptly titled The Album, I hope is going to be a well-rounded showing of the Blackpink we already know and love through How You Like That and who we met four years ago with Whistle, a song I still really like. 
Don's first mini album, Don Diddy Don, is also on my radar because I heard Money last year and liked it. NCT's full album release is also set up to be a banger. And of course, of course, the teasers for a GOT7 comeback either this month or November and the certainty of a BTS comeback in November with the album B. Whew. Okay, now on to the K-dramas. So, what you watching? What have I been watching this summer? To start with, Into the Ring was a delightful July surprise. Aired on KBS2 and starring Nana and Park Sung-hyun, this drama is about a critical and cold civil servant who is unwillingly teamed up with an opportunistic woman who decides to become a city council member. I have recorded a baby kraken of the first episode, so if you want to know more details and my full opinion, I will be dropping that very soon. To All the Guys That Loved Me is also a KBS2 drama starring Wang Jung-hume, Yoon Hun-min, and Se Ji-hoon that I started but have yet to finish. The first few episodes grabbed me because our leading lady is a smart and caring, arguably over-caring, webtoon manager who has given up on love. If you want a love triangle rom-com, I would suggest you check it out. But in my opinion, Mr. Pop-Up Bar was definitely the stronger Wang Jung-hume hit of the year. Was It Love was my fun reverse harem rom-com of the summer, starring Song Ji-ho, San Ho-joon, Song Jung-ho, Ko Ja-sung, and Kim Da-sung. It aired on Netflix and is about a movie producer who has to team up with her ex to make the novel he wrote about their failed relationship into a hit film. Along the way, we meet her wonderful family, including her teenage daughter, who begins to wonder if one of the men who start to hang around her mother is her unknown father. A longtime crush of the producer, who is ready and willing to be the man in her life, and her financier, a former loan shark turned legit businessman who decides to stick around because of who she reminds him of. What I liked about the drama is that everyone has their separate motivations. Not everything is revolved around our leading lady finding love. In fact, for the first half of the drama, she most decidedly just wants the opportunity to film the movie she's been dreaming about making. And secondary to that, Even is protecting her daughter from being hurt by the decisions she made before her daughter was born. Finding love, even though the chance is right there, is an afterthought. What I disliked about Was It Love was unfortunately the pacing, which I feel is like a constant gripe of mine about K-dramas. As always, they start off strong, immerse the audience in the plot, and make us fall for the characters. Then around the time that conflicts start to naturally resolve themselves, the story slows to a glacial pace so that the show can make its prescribed episodes. That usually requires filler and sometimes even useless characters, of which the show does have one. But the drama remained interesting throughout, if only because of the great interactions between the characters, especially our leading lady's mother and daughter, who provided Song Ji-ho with her strongest scenes. I really recommend you give Was It Love a try. Train was another drama I began in July. Airing on OCN, Yoon Shi-hoon plays a dimension-skipping detective who chases a serial killer through worlds in order to save the lives of innocent victims and the woman he pushed away. I watched the first two episodes of this drama and was enthralled, but also so flippin' sad that I had to stop. I'm definitely going to restart it when I'm in a better headspace, but until then, I would recommend you give this drama a try. There is a twist at the end of the second episode that will snatch you up. No joke. Flower of Love is also a July drama that I actually only started when it was halfway finished in August, but man am I glad I waited until I knew I wouldn't have to wait for the last few episodes to air. 
Starring Lee Joon-gi and Moon Jae-won as husband and wife, he is a craftsman who on the surface appears the perfect husband and father. She is a hard-working detective trying desperately to catch a serial killer on the loose and finding that the suspect might be closer to her than she ever imagined. This hard-hitting mystery was a refreshing take on the let-me-be-evil trope, where a character is suspected so often of being evil that they might just give up trying to be good, and then that takes it a step further to ask what happens to the one person who still believes in that character's ability to do good. I really can't recommend this drama enough, and I'm clearly not the only person who thinks that since it was a smash hit of the summer. As for August, I prepared myself for watching the second season of Stranger, starring Bae Duna and Cho Sung Hoo, and airing on Netflix by rewatching the first season. I'm not the biggest fan of Korean crime shows, but there's something about watching Cho Sung Hoo as a prosecutor who feels no empathy paired up with Bae Duna, who is a sharp investigator with an enormous soft spot for just about everybody. Their chemistry is electric and wonderfully platonic, so I'm telling you up front not to expect any romance between the leads. The writing is absolutely fantastic, so watch it. Where Your Eyes Linger was another pleasant surprise. Released as a Vicky original online, an episodic and movie format, it stands Han Ji-chan and Jang Yi-su as two best friends whose complicated relationship grows even more complicated when they fall for each other. It's a very simple, very sweet drama, and the choppy writing is usually what's to be expected of a web series. The news about this show, and really why I watched it when the web series aren't my favorite, touted it as the first Korean BL or boy love drama. And while I don't know if that's true, there is a growing handful of LGBTQ Korean movies that I know of, if Where Your Eyes Linger was the first, the show did an admirable job. I am planning to record a full review and write a post about the show on my blog very soon. Oh My Baby, starring Jang Nara, Go Joon, Park Byung-yoon, and Jung Gon-ju, was the first big meh of the summer for me. A TVN drama about a parenting magazine editor who desperately wants to be a mother, but learns that her ability to have a child is at risk due to a health concern, should have been an interesting topic for me personally. I am in the mid-30s demographic this show is tailored for, and yet I couldn't finish it because I thought the show was a little tone-deaf about our leading lady's options and ultimately her decisions. Instead of depicting a woman who is coming to terms with her possible missed opportunity to healthily carry a baby to term and maybe looking into adoption, of which she could probably afford, and from what I've read the Korean government is openly encouraging, she becomes obsessed with getting pregnant, and not by artificial insemination, but by a man. Seemingly at first, any man. Um, okay. Uh, you do you, girl. Jang Nara was her usual emotive and very funny self, but this was a 1990s drama in a lady's power suit, if you know what I mean. The serious topic of the show was just disjointed with the genre and the Virgin Mary vibe of our lead character. I don't think I'll try this one again, so it's a nah for me. The first blockbuster Netflix hit of the summer, It's Okay to Not Be Okay, was a slow burner for me for two reasons. One, I tend to be a contrarian and am initially skeptical of anything that lots of people immediately seem to like. And two, because I'd sort of swelled myself with some screen caps online and was absolutely certain that I would not like Seiji's Cruella de Vil character. Anyone who has read my article about Tsundere's know that I do not like mean people, even if they are mean for a reason. 
but I did eventually give it a try, and thankfully I saw that while I still think the show is kind of overhyped, it does have some of the best acting from its star-studded cast. So Jay plays a cold-hearted children's book writer swept up into the chaotic world of Kim Sung-hoo and Oh Jung-sae, two codependent brothers struggling to make it in society. The best thing about the drama was the character focus, because I started to care for all of them very quickly. Before I knew it, I was marathoning the show to see what new trauma would befall them or new secret would be revealed. The writing is sharp and thoughtful when dealing with how each character has suffered and what they need to do in order to heal, and all three of the leads were integral to the story and gave award-worthy performances. If you are among the few who haven't yet given It's Okay to Not Be Okay a watch, I strongly give this two thumbs up. This one might stick with you. NBC's anthology science fiction drama, SF8, is another drama I've watched this long quarantine summer. Each episode has a different cast and story, but all of them revolve around the same themes of futurism and technology. I would say think of the UK series Black Mirror if you need something to compare the show to, but I also think that this show is very different than that, and have already written most of a pod review about how I feel. It should be up shortly, so I won't spoil that here. And finally, but not really finally, because how can anything be final with Park Bogum? I began Record of Youth, which is currently dropping two episodes a week on Netflix and TVN. Starring my love, Park Bogum, along with two more darlings, Park Sodom and Beyond Wonsuk, I had to prepare myself for the unexpected with the drama. I am so glad I did. I'm also glad I avoided the reviews online, which I don't think gave this show a fair shake from the first episode. This drama's focus is on three young people who are all working very hard to achieve their goals in fashion and entertainment. Along the way, they have to deal with their own hardships, with some recognizing their privilege, while others try to defy the odds. Did I sound general enough not to give away any of the plot? Because this drama is very slice of life, and I think that's where some audiences seem to think the show was lacking. As someone who loves slice-of-life dramas, this show is right up my alley, and I've currently slowed down watching every episode as soon as it comes out because I know I'll be jonesing to finish the show and then have to wait if I get caught up. I'm hoping to do a review of this entire show later on, but I will tell you now, if it's not already obvious, I highly recommend this one. Now on to the dramas I'm really looking forward to. Yes, yes, there's more. Just stick with me, okay? Why are you running? Why are you running? As for what I'm looking forward to watching, I know with schedule changes due to the pandemic, things for some dramas are up in the air. But from what has been advertised as upcoming, there are a handful of new dramas that I've just started and am looking forward to. The first is Startup, starring Susie Namjuhuk, who was kind of busy this summer because I'm watching him in another drama that I'll mention in just a minute, and Kim Sumho as young tech developers who are building their own companies. The drama is supposed to air on Netflix and TVN within the month, but I recently heard that its schedule was pushed back, so who really knows? And at the moment, it's not on Netflix US's upcoming list. The next is The School Nurse Files, which is currently up on Netflix and stars also Nam Jo Hook and Jung Yumi. A dark and mystical comedy, it's a story centered on a school nurse who can see spirits in the form of colorful and sometimes dangerous jellies. I've only watched one short episode so far and like it, but I do think I need to watch more to give it any sort of fair review. And it's only six episodes. Dodo So So La La So, starring Go Ara and Lee Jae Wook, is scheduled to start this week on Netflix and KBS 2. 
a rom-com about two quirky people with polar opposite personalities. The trailer for the show looks like a lot of fun, and I'm so glad that we're finally going to be able to watch it. And to wrap up everything in a nice spooky bow is Lee Dong-wook and Joe Bora's highly anticipated TVN drama, Tale of the Nine-Tailed, which will also start next week. About a mischievous gumiho who can take human form and wreak havoc, but also help people. I'm sure the show is going to be a hit amongst fans of Lee Dong-wook and the mythology of the gumiho. And now... To kick off the start of K-Drama Kraken's spooky season shenanigans are my top five spooky supernatural K-dramas. Number five, Master's Son. A haunting romp with two masters of romance, Gong Ho Jin and Soji Sub. This 2014 drama about a Tsundere Mall CEO solving mysteries with a wayward psychic is the perfect blend of slapstick humor and spooky atmosphere. The cosmetic effects make up for where the CG effects lack. I even jumped a few times when they revealed the chalk gray faces of some of their ghostly clients, but I'm also a sucker for a good jump scare. Number 4. Let's Fight Ghosts this 2016 spooky rom-com teamed up Kim Hyun-ji and Taekyung, who at this point might be known more for his K-dramas than his time with TPM, as a ghost-fighting pair and roommates. Taekyung plays a young exorcist, tormented by meddling spirits until a particular one wants his help in solving her death. As they grow closer, the story gets more grisly, and it becomes a great combination for someone who loves their highly attractive leads scared, but also ready to kick ghostly butts. Number 3. Priest An interesting meditation on the intersections of faith and medicine, this 2018 drama introduces us to the unlikely team of 643 Regia. Led by a former doctor-turned-exorcist played by Yeon Woo Jin and Jung Yoo Mi as a doctor who is faced with a patient she cannot treat with medicine alone. This character-driven nature of the drama doesn't take away from the creepiness supplied by some great acting and plot twists. I usually stay away from medical dramas, but Priest nicely balanced the ER shenanigans with supernatural eeriness. Number 2. Godham I was anticipating this Netflix drama ever since they announced it with an arresting trailer at the beginning of the summer. Godham apparently translates to ghost story, and this short anthology released this August target urban viral tales that started on message boards and grew into modern myths through disturbing Twitter posts and text messages. Living in the city ain't easy. Even though every episode didn't perform as well as others, and I have to admit it isn't very scary, but it does try very hard, and is fun. Goldham is thumbs up for audiences who love a blend of modern horror and lots of gore with a bit of mysticism. I think I might do a more in-depth review of this drama on my blog, so keep an eye out for that. Hopefully, this will get a season two. And number one, Guest. Look, the first few episodes of this drama freaked me right out, so that's why this is high up and number one on my list. Maybe because it aired on OCN that the level of violence was more than I usually have come across in K-dramas, but this 2018 K-drama hooked me from the start with its folklore and no-holds-barred grittiness. Starring Jung Eun Che, Kim Dong-wook, and one of my faves, Kim Jae-wook, they play an unconventional team searching for the demon who changed the course of all of their lives. You're immediately drawn into the fast-paced tragedy of their past and the mystery that will determine their future. 
I highly suggest this if you're looking for a horror drama that has very little room for niceties. Prepare yourself for never knowing where the story is going to go. And that's it for this mega review episode. I hope you'll tune in next week for more spooky shenanigans, as well as follow the pod on Instagram and Twitter at kdramakraken, read the blog at kdramakraken.com, and join the Facebook group kdramakraken podcast to chat about all of your favorite dramas and be notified of updates and group watches. Thank you for listening, and until next time, keep it cracking.